Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Today's episode is brought to you by Deloitte Digital. Stay tuned after the podcast for insights on elevating the human experience. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. With me as she is each week is Co M, our department's mm-hmm. editor and co-host of the podcast. How are you, Co? I'm good. Looking ahead to next year. And physically looking at each other. I don't know if it like <laughs> how transparent we are. We're rarely in the same city. Uh, and so this time we're all in the same room because Yay. we've got a big conversation today. We're going to be talking about the ads of the year of 2019. And uh, with us, we've got uh, Minda Smiley, a staff writer who covers the agency's beat and writes about creative every once in a while too. Minda, so glad you could join us. Thank you. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And very special guest. We've got Josh Rios, uh, who normally is is reserved solely for the closing credits of this podcast because he helps make it happen. Uh, he's a video producer here at Adweek and also helps produce the podcast each week uh, and made our very awesome montage of all the best ads of the year that you can see on adweek.com. So I feel like you, more than maybe anyone, are keenly familiar with our choices for ads of the year. I did not bring a jargon jar this time. I came unhanded. We're all good to go. <laughs> I love it. Like... Let's get really niche and wonky. I, I feel like I never know what kind of caveats we should give on this list is like we try to find a balance of ads people have seen versus ads that win awards, which are rarely the ads people have actually seen. Uh, and then with ones that we just loved. There are some on our official list where people are going to be like, what? Why? Yeah, I have a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Like as in you question why? We- yeah, I, I, there are some. Like <laughs> while I was putting together the montage video, I'm sitting here like, why? Why this one? Okay, we're, we're going to have that. I want to have that talk. No, we'll have it. It's no, okay. Yeah, because uh, we'll get to that. All right. So um, so that's what we're going to be doing today, going through. Uh, we'll talk a bit about Adweek's uh, 25 ads of the year, uh, which you can find on the site uh, and some other articles about some of that content. Uh, and you can definitely check out uh, Josh's video the, uh, montage of all those. But we're just going to kind of start it off by talking about um, – you know, our personal favorites uh, that each of us had, It can't. they might be on the official list. They might not be. Um, and I'll just kind of go round robin and we'll talk about it. And uh, definitely I want to give an early plug up front that we want to hear from you. Hit us at podcast at adweek.com. Find us on Twitter uh, at adweek or I'm at Griner. And Co, remind me, what's your Twitter? Co-M-T-V, K-O-I-M-T-V, even uh-huh. though I'm on the podcast, but – just kept it. <laughs> you didn't change it to Cohen Podcast. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so with that said, let's get to it. Uh, I'm just going to go. I'm going to pick a random person. Minda, it's you. You're the random person. Uh, w- tell us one of your three favorite ads of the year. One of my three favorite ads was definitely Dream Crazier. 
with Serena Williams. It was sort of the follow-up to the initial Colin Kaepernick ad. It was the one where um, I think it when did it air during the Oscars? Sounds I, right. Something, yeah, one of those big award shows. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very um, it's 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 very Nike esque, empowering. Um, but they just I think they just did a great job with it. And like I am not athletic at all, and I yet still very feel very inspired when I watch it. So. Um, so, yeah, I think the music in it is great as well. I, I just love, um, you know, the idea it's like, well, yeah, um, well, we're going to dream even crazier. Yeah. Uh, just kind of like it's it's in your face, but also Serena's very, like, her narration's very muted in it. Yeah, and it's a, it was a nice, it, it was an interesting way to sort of evolve the dream crazy uh, tagline, if you will, um, into sort of a, something that um, that is such a hot topic anyway. And uh, Nike always does a good job of that, of sort of tapping into culture. But I just thought that one was done uh, really well. Let's listen to the audio, which is uh, fantastic. When we're too good, there's something wrong with us. And if we get angry, we're hysterical or rational or just being crazy. But a woman running a marathon was crazy. Officials tried to pull her off the course. A woman boxing was crazy. A woman dunking, crazy. Coaching an NBA team, crazy. A woman competing in a hijab, changing her sport, landing a double cork 1080, or winning 23 Grand Slams, having a baby, and then coming back for more? Crazy, 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 and crazy. It's a great spot. Uh, okay, hit us with another one. So this is a hot take. I don't think anyone's going to agree with me on this one. but <laughs> I'm ready for takes. Yeah, let's I, go. I, let's do and it. And this, this is an ad people definitely did see. It was the TurboTax ad with the robot baby that, was, that ran during the Super Bowl this year. Oh, by, by like, the, like, like the one that was like, Father, why don't you yeah. pay attention? Yeah, that was not great. Oh, uh, I, I thought it was so Minda, funny. This is the best ads. <laughs> list. I thought it was really funny. Like, you may have wandered I... into the wrong podcast. <laughs> no, no. If we're talking about it. I'm surprised that you still remembered it from February. Oh, I, I re- I've remembered it for months. Yeah, like I thought it was really funny. I thought it was well done. I, um, But yeah, I, I think it was like one of the last ads that came out in like the USA Today ad meter. Like no one, it did not, it did not play well at all, obviously. I think dead but, last was that Burger King Andy. Yeah, that it, was like, like dead last. And then TurboTax was like, I don't that. But <laughs> I don't know. Like I remember seeing it for the first time, like before it even aired on the Super Bowl. And I like thought it was really funny. And I thought people were going to like it. And then like no one did. So, yeah. Well, that's if I remember why. right, it had a teaser that was pretty – Pretty interesting yeah. with like the robot child, yeah. Um, and and the teaser kind of implied there was going to be this whole story about this like crazy robot child. Yeah, and yeah. then in the end, I guess that maybe my issue with the, I was just a little disappointed because I was like, oh man, they're going to get weird. Yeah, I didn't and see they, the teaser, so I guess I had no expectations. Uh, maybe I kind of feel like maybe the game affected how people felt about that one because <laughs> the game. If you, I barely remember, but I remember half I, of our newsroom just checking out because it was just a blowout kind of sort of. Yeah, and so maybe that had something to do with why it just didn't get there because it was also like a four quarter ad. Oh, and was it? Yeah, like I remember it being around that time. And usually the earlier, like before halftime. That's, a, that's and a good point. Yeah, because yeah. that could be a kind of a factor in it. Well. Still not a good ad. I was hoping one of you would agree with me. It doesn't look not looking good though by the looks hey, on your faces. Um, so. Really remember. Believe it. in something. Yeah. Even, even if it, it means <laughs> a sacrificing my integrity. Um, okay, so you're one for two. Uh, what's your, no, what is your uh, what is your third? 
So my third favorite for the year, it was a toss-up, but I, I would have to say I really, really loved the um, Renault ad that um, it came out a few months ago. It basically told this, like, love story between these two women and all and sort of – and Renault was um, obviously incorporated throughout the ad, but um, – and what I thought was, like, a pretty subtle way, but still – enough that you sort of, you know, got what they were trying to do. Um, but yeah, it was just, um, I think it's hard to do like a love story. It's kind of an overdone thing in advertising, but this one was super captivating. Um, and um, I just thought it was really, really well done and emotional and had enough, kind of had enough twists and turns that it kind of kept you watching, but didn't feel over the top either. And um, um, I'm not really totally sure how like the LGBTQ audience responded to it, but I personally I thought it was re- really lovely. So it's nice when they can the brand can still be incorporated and the narrative mm-hmm. holds strong like in a cinematic way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, there was a weird amount of backlash to that. Weird to me. Um, I'm yeah, not, that's I'm why not, I say I know I don't know like if it totally went over well, but I'm, I'm not dismissing the complaints I saw were not necessarily about that it portrayed uh, you know a, a, a lesbian romance in any sort of bad way. It's a gorgeous it's a gorgeous love story. Mm-hmm. I mean, for for an ad for yeah. Pacton, it is it is wonderfully. I mean, told. people were saying like this could be a trailer for a movie. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. Was, and the one the first complaint, and I think this tweet got passed around a lot, was the guy saying, "Oh, this is even worse than that subway ad." You remember like the Brazilian subway ad that kind of resurfaced after a few years, where it's this guy's like entire yes. life, life story, and then it ends with him like getting Going a subway. Oh, that was super sandwich. weird. And it was like yeah. no matter oh, where I think that's life totally takes different. you, totally different. Totally, yeah. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, now, I didn't know people compared it. To I that. think the reason. Well, it was like I don't know how many people made that yeah. comparison, but like that was the first place I ever saw it was someone passing that around. He's like, I finally found one worse than the subway ad. I think the difference is that one has nothing to do with subway. Yeah. Until like the last day, you could have bolted on anything. And you could have put a zero bar or yeah. a butterfinger. And like it's subway. Like yeah, I it's don't like know. no one's it's life just... is connected deeply to subway. <laughs> yeah. Poor e- except <laughs> the character Subway from Community. Sorry. Um, the uh, it, like. Uh, so I I understand when people say, oh, you know, this is overwrought or this is like. This is a brand trying too hard, I guess, is the way I I would summarize the criticisms of that. But it's – I mean, come on. If you're going to fault brands for anything, let's not fault them on beautiful, you know, storytelling about a gay romance or about LGBTQ representation like in in a world where many worse things are happening. I don't understand why people – I thought it was great. I hate Wonderwall and that it's a strong component of this ad is Wonderwall. And I got over that fear with this ad. Wow. Wow. No, no, no. Like, this is one of those things where, like, I – so when I prepare to do the ads of the year and I make my montages, I typically just don't watch most of the ones on the list because it just – I don't know. It's more fun that way for me just, like, getting in the zone and putting them together. And as soon as I heard, like, after a couple, like, beats, I was like, this is wonderful. I'm chewing. You know what? This is this is beautifully shot. This is like a good thing. I forgot it was a car ad halfway through, and I was like, "What's this story? What's what's up with them? What are they doing?" And then it just comes together, and then I sat there and I was like, "Today's gonna be the <laughs> And I just got mad at myself. But in the end, I thought that the ad like pushed beyond that into something that's actually like pretty solid. I for agree, the air. and that's a, that was a, that was a tough song choice because I do think a lot of people don't like that song. So, but they did it well. You go I to think. enough parties and you hear the yeah. one person being like, "I I could play this," and they like yeah, struggle with like, the guitar. Oh. And you're like, <laughs> Again, yeah, it is funny because like yeah, like Wonderwall is kind of a. Uh, like almost a meme of like anyway here's Wonderwall like like yeah. when you when you have nothing else <laughs> when you have nothing else to offer you play Wonderwall mm-hmm. and so you know it's no she's so high from uh, the Peloton ad but, <laughs> but it kind of it could have veered into that territory if it was done differently the maybe. other way the other way um, Co let's let's go with you 
Okay, well, you bring up that she's so high, and I just cannot get over the gift responsibly spoof follow-up ad from Aviation Gin. So, Co, tell us what you loved about the Aviation Gin kind of parody. It's not a parody. It's more of like a response ad, which is weird. It's the kind of, you know, the vlog one year later of the Peloton (laughs) wife. And <laughs> is it one year later or is it the night? Uh, you the, know, is it the night of? I, I think it's it's like after Christmas. Like, I don't know. I just imagine how she kind of ended up at a bar with her two girlfriends. Um, let's take a listen first. This gin is really smooth. Yeah. We can get you another one mm-hmm. if you like. You're safe here. To new beginnings. To, to new, new beginnings. beginnings. There you go. It's going to be a fun night. There you go. Take this, too. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. You look great, by the way. It's so funny. I mean, it's cleverly written. Um, The – there's kind of – you don't really know who she is at the beginning, and then you kind of have that light bulb moment. And, um, and you know, it's like it's been a long year. Like the, and, and you look really good. Like the, the commentary is just excellent. Um, and it was so timely. I mean, I don't know how long it took to shoot that and, you know, find her. Um, but it, it, do you, it, you want to know? Yes, I do. 75 hours. That's so wow. smart. So 75 hours between when Ryan Reynolds and his part, his like, uh, production partner Mm -hmm. on uh, Maximum Effort they they were texting each other uh, we should do something with this between that text and the ad literally being posted online was 75 hours that's insane which and it's Production nightmare. Like it's it's a still shot. It's, it's it one, is. It's it was. One I shot. mean, it was an easy shot, but still. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is not in it, which he's in most of the aviation gents, but he did create it. I, you know, it was his idea with you know with his partner George, and like they, you know, they're the ones behind every uh, aviation ad. Uh, but I mean, this thing just the turnaround, getting a hold of her. Ryan Reynolds talked to her three times. The actress. Like three times personally called her. I wonder how hard it was for him to get in touch with her, like her agent or whatever, because she was pretty quiet. I mean, like I, I would have had no idea how to find her. I'm also not Ryan Reynolds, but yeah, I, I think I think they were able through their production contacts and all that yeah. to find her relatively. I don't know about how easily, but this sounds like so obnoxious to say. But I talked to Ryan Reynolds about this. Um, but we did. We we interviewed Ryan Reynolds about how the ad came together. Oh, okay, and he he told me that. Um, he uh, that he called her first to see if she'd be even open to it um, and how she was feeling about it and whether she would be willing to do something because he didn't want to like mock her. He didn't want to ruin her career, like didn't want her to be blacklisted for, you know, for making fun of her own like the, the people who hired her for a pretty big ad. Um, and then so they got to cool with it. They had another follow up conversation about kind of how it could come together. Then he called her after it was shot to make sure she was comfortable with it because wow. he was like. We're not going to publish it if you're if you're worried this might hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was she said she was good with it. So, like that's I that's honestly just maybe the best thing I've ever heard about Ryan Reynolds. Like who's from all accounts seems like a pretty great guy. But I mean, man, no one does that. No one like checks in with an actor three times to make sure they're cool with how they're going to be represented and something. Most most places are just like this actor's lucky to have this job. Mm-hmm. And uh but yeah, anyway, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt your, your No, your no. I I just I just think it's great and I'm I you know, I'll have a gin cocktail to 
too. You, yeah. you know, you know what sucks for me? I'm allergic to gin. What? It's my mm. only my only allergy. Wow. <laughs> so every time I write about aviation, I'm just like, I'll never know. Oh. <laughs> can't, can't. Can live vicariously through pe- Peloton wife. <laughs> can't do yeah. it. Um, okay. What else did you like? So my second choice is the IKEA um, play on Stranger Things bedroom, The Simpsons bedroom. You know, it's not. It's like a really clever way also to kind of spread the long tail on on something that's already done and known and, you know, visualized. Yeah, so they recreated famous living rooms using IKEA products, like famous living rooms from TV, The Simpsons. uh, Wasn't Friends on there? Yeah, the Mm -hmm. Friends living room. Um, So, sorry, I just want to make sure people knew. I think it came from Publicis Spain. Yeah, Publicis Spain. Um, But, yeah, so tell us about it. Yeah, so, you know, it's IKEA real life. um, And I think when you kind of plug into um, lasting pop culture images, um, you're able to just really inspire people to like, yes, you can have this too. You can live in your favorite shows. Um, so it, it, and you can use these products, you can buy these products. Um, you know, they put the kind of the tags on, um, the ads and, uh, I believe it made a bump and a difference in, in sales, at least overseas. Yeah, it, um, we interviewed the team behind it, uh, shortly after it went live, uh, and they said that it boosted traffic to those products that were featured in the living rooms by 50%. Hmm. Whoa. And I mean, when you're Ikea, yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot that's of numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the craft behind it is is fantastic. I say this a lot to anyone nerdy enough to listen, but uh, France and Spain right now are the two kind of my – there's a lot of great markets right now. Um, but those are the two where I'm just obsessed with every piece of marketing that comes out of there. Uh, and Pools of Spain, this one is just – it's just so smart. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is that, um, you know, it, it, that there is so much kind of different kind of creativity that we're not seeing here? I think a lot of times it's driven. It's like Brazil, right? Brazil has some of the best creative on earth. And a lot of times it's because like just normal TV ads don't cut it in Brazil. You have to have an idea that punches through a very, very cluttered uh, culture. And America is still very kind of isolated to these specific media outlets of like TV and you know, certain print publications, but but you, we kind of all see the same media. We all watch Super Bowl. Well. Certain other markets, it's a lot more scattered. And so you have to come up with an idea that kind of breaks through culturally in, in a certain way or is more flexible. I don't know. I mean, it's a really good question. Uh, I think Spain, what's fascinating is they've had kind of a, a, a disastrous economy for like 10 years and they've really been struggling with it. Uh, France, not tremendously better, but but a little better. But like – and yet in that time, what what I was uh, talking about with someone yesterday is that some of the best creatives on earth are in Spain and they have not left Spain. They could. They, right. could, they could go anywhere, um, but uh, they haven't. And so there's something about those markets that really keeps those folks there and they're generating just incredible stuff. And like David, not to get way off topic, but when David wanted to hire a new global chief creative officer, and we've talked about David a lot, and they're, they're based in Miami, they hired Pancho Cassis from Lola Molinlo uh, Madrid, which is one of the – they created the scary clowns thing for Burger King. And like Lola, they've made some of the best ads from the last five, ten years. Pancho was the one running that. David hired him and they uh, they opened a Madrid office. Like rather than bring him to Miami, um, they opened David Madrid. And now that's kind of like the cultural epicenter of David out of nowhere, like within one year. There must be something in the water. Man. We should all move I'm there. Gonna, I, we all need to <laughs> fact-finding trip yeah. to France and Spain, the four of us. <laughs> oh, Europe. Finally, I get to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. um, 
Okay, Co. I think you still have one more pick. I do, and this one, you know, is something that um, is really um, touching in a in a very sad way, and from it comes from the Sandy Hook Promise. Um, and I was talking to somebody, it, you know, for me, it's like the marker of an ad is not just kind of the, the impact that's left in, 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 you know, stamping my brain with that memory, but also when I talk to somebody about it, right? Like, oh, I watched this ad, that, blah, blah, blah. So for me, this ad, it's called Back to School Essentials. And you think it's like this normal, you know, ad to, to get school supplies. And it very quickly turns into a school shooting scene. And you see these kids um, who, you know, like, for example, there's one girl uh, right by the door holding a pair of scissors um, ready to kind of attack and or protect herself if she needs to. So let's take a listen to that. This year, my mom got me the perfect bag for back to school. These colorful binders help me stay organized. These headphones are just what I need for studying. These new sneakers are just what I need for the new year. This jacket is a real must have. My parents got me the skateboard I wanted. It's pretty cool. These scissors really come in handy in art class. These colored pencils, too. These new socks, they can be a real lifesaver. <laughs> I finally got my own phone to stay in touch with my mom. So it, for me, even seeing the two friends, you know, in school using a sock as like, um, you know, a, a way to tourniquet. kind of bandage mm-hmm. like a tourniquet, um, you know, that that kind of stays to me. It, it it saddens me that we have to come to almost like this shock, sadness value um, to put a message from such a group like this forward to have an impact. Yeah, and there were two uh, school shooting centric PSAs uh, basically that we featured on the list this year. The other was Generation Lockdown by McCann New York, which has been doing some incredible work for uh, March for Our Lives. Um, both of those really hammer the same point, which is the normalization of mass murder in schools. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that that has become such a, a fact of life. Um, I have a hard time talking about this. Uh, you, you know, it's not to say you have to have kids to to empathize with this problem. Um, we've all been to school. We, you know, we've all gone through this. But, you know, my kids are right in the heart of this right now and they're going through these drills every day. And Generation Lockdown from McCann, um, not to not to take away from uh, the one that, that you're talking about from San Diego Promise, which is great, and their best spot in years uh, from BBDO New York – but Generation Lockdown is the one where it's like these office workers are getting a drill in active shooter and you can tell they're all just like, oh, whatever. Some experts can come in and tell us how to like hide behind a desk and then it's a like 10-year-old girl and she comes in and just tells them like you'd all be dead by now, mm-hmm. you know, and don't scream because it will just help them find you. And she's just so – like, like a deadpan delivery. Yeah. yeah. And it's real. Yeah. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. And then the imagery on top of that of just like flashing images. It's yeah. just like, here's the barricade that we made for this. Um, Here is how you hide under a desk. And it's not like it's not cinematic at all. It is basically just like actual photos from people's mm-hmm. phones. with just like, here you go. Here's what you do. Here's what we did. And then 
all these adults and all the reactions of like, wait, this is how you live. And it's sort of like it's way more impactful. Like both of these ads are way like mega impactful. But I think the IRL method of uh, Project Lockdown really gets it. Like I love the back to school and like that was fine. Like I love back to school time. I worked at Old Navy for a long time. It's great. But I think it's one of those things where I think Project Lockdown hit harder because of the real life elements of just like this is a girl whose everyday life is this, has to know how to barricade, has to know how to tape up the door so somebody doesn't come in. And her delivery, she's not sad. I think that's the thing that gets me is her delivery isn't very sad. It's like kind of matter of fact. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can tell she's nervous. Like mm-hmm. you can tell that she's – that you know, that, that it's it's not like – it's not – it's staged in the sense that, yes, they brought in this kid and, and kind of told her to give this talk. Um but uh, but you know with both of those, it's like I think the worst thing as a parent is like part of you is glad that they're doing these things, but but ninety percent of you is horrified that we have to live in a world where you have to do these things. It's kind of the ultimate like it's like teaching a daughter how to protect herself from being attacked in the street. I, you shouldn't have to teach anyone how to be protected from yeah you know, how to protect themselves from being attacked in the street. And so it's like. Yeah. And both of those, it was hard to like rank something like which of those is a better ad. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, San Diego Promise really hit the scene in a big way several years ago with Evan, uh, which was the, the ad that seems to be a charming love story between two, you know, kids and then ends up being about a school shooting. And then they hid a lot of visuals within that. If you've not seen Evan, you should go back and watch it. Um, but then the last few years, they haven't really, and they, they tilt a bit toward, uh, you know, toward victim blamey. Uh, stuff that is kind of my beef with – like Sandy Hook promised, the, the way they try to be uh, nonpartisan is to say it's – they don't blame guns. Uh, they don't come out against gun manufacturers. They say we need to find the warning signs and we need to identify the warning signs in schools. Um, that's, that's great. Um, but I don't think someone should ever feel guilty for not spotting – you know what I mean? For not spotting a school shooter in advance, like especially a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one where like I see their stuff in schools and, and they've had a few ads where people were like, what you're really saying is like people were kind of rude to this kid. So, you know, he's going to kill people like like it, they did not do a great job in the last few years with that messaging. And I'm probably being overly critical, but it is it's a nuanced subject. And you, yeah, you can't. Is. Yeah, you it can't, is. It's, it's a hard it's a hard task. And, and for me, it's, you know. It's never looking at your school supplies the same way again. Arguably, they're not talking about not trying to sell school supplies as an ad. But, you know, it's just I think, you know, as a former nanny and babysitter and it's like you look at a binder and you just think about what could happen and hopefully it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's – well, you know – Congratulations to BBDO New York on really doing one of their best. This is a client they put a lot of their heart and soul into. I'm sure it's not one they make money off of. It's it's purely a passion project for them and it has been for many years. Um, but that spot, it was great to see it generating a lot of PR, a lot of uh, online mm-hmm. discussion. It's just a, it's just a tough conversation because the solution feels so out of reach. Mm-hmm. And and I guess I don't I don't think like spotting the warning signs is is the kind of solution that I want. Like I want kids to not be murdered. Um, yeah. And and we all agree there. It's just a matter of like, you know, how we solve this. But uh, I'm glad marketers have kind of embraced it. 
on that note, Josh, I don't know how rough of a transition will be, uh, depending on what you picked. But actually, let's let's take a little breather. <laughs> we'll take a little break. We'll come back in a little bit, and we will uh, and we'll continue. Today's episode is brought to you by Deloitte Digital. Stay tuned as Tim Grulick, managing director at Deloitte Digital, explains how emotional attachments with brands can be quantified. All right. Um, Josh, it's your turn. Tell us about one of your favorite episodes. Hello. I've been waiting patiently. Uh, so <laughs> You're all wrong. No, you're not all wrong. Everyone's <laughs> entitled to their opinion, even if it's wrong. But um, so here's a curveball from left field. It is a Super Bowl ad, and it is the Doritos Chance the Rapper Backstreet Boys like crossover mashup, mostly because of production value, but it's one of those things in which it's everything that I think a modern like Super Bowl ad needs to be, in which it brings in the masses of everyone is just like, all right, kids, you have chance to rapper. You older people, you know what you have? Doritos. Also, the Backstreet Boys are here. Do you hey. want them together in a mashup? Yes. Also, what flavor are these cheat uh Doritos? Uh, doesn't matter. We're still going to eat them. But I think it was one of those <laughs> things with a combination of just an entire like two generations. I think it really pulled it together. It's like the halftime show of ads. Yeah. Like I, I saw it. Like we saw it. We see some of these early and it was one of those things where I am just playing the song just for myself. And I'm just sitting there being like, yep, this is two. Put these two together. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Just put it back together and I'm good. And I'm ready for it. <laughs> let's, um, uh, let's listen. Flamin' Hot Nacho. They made the original hot, hot, hot. Ooh, hot stuff fall over my nachos, walking like a taco, driving over potholes, hotter than a pot roast, fingers on my hot chips, red handed, come on, man, I'm gonna need some chopsticks. Quietly, the house, and I'm gonna need another outfit. Fly it in a maggot on the wall inside a cockpit. Now it's hot. Yeah. It's it slaps. As I said in our uh, company Slack, this ad slaps. And I didn't say that about any of the other ads in Super Bowl this year. Um, what, did you watch the TurboTax ad with the yeah. Robo Baby? Uh, did that in the fourth quarter? Uh, no, no, fourth quarter. I was too busy editing. Uh, didn't, nope. Uh, so next ad will be uh, – this one was actually really um, – special in my heart, mostly due to the fact that I didn't know that they didn't advertise before, but it is a lot of Legos advertisement this year. Um, they have the spirit of Lego in them, and I think they were done by BETC mm-hmm. uh, out of Europe? Yeah, I believe. Paris. Minda, tell us about BETC. Yeah, BETC, they were our international agency of the year, so I can, can tell you all about this ad. But yeah, that, that was, um, it was their first, I believe it was Lego's first global campaign in 30 years, yeah. um, which is pretty wild. Um, and obviously they, uh, 
They took a really kind of whimsical, quirky approach. It's basically this like kind of like a cat and mouse chase is the best way to describe it, I guess, if, um, if you're not like watching it um, through this like very Lego-esque world. And then at the end, you kind of realize like all, all the stuff that's been happening in the ad, the whole chase is actually just like a Lego creation in a child's mind. And it's um it's really cute. I it, thought it was well it done. It really plays with just like what does a kid do with a box of Legos? And it's mm-hmm. sort of like I think it's a generational thing of like if you give a kid a box of Legos, they will probably fill out anything they want. It might not make sense to you. Like, it might be, like, two blocks put together, and it's like, this is a dog. But you get it. You get that it's just, like, it's whatever you want it to be across whatever. And I think that atop of, like, their first ad in, like, 30 years, Mm -hmm. like, it really resonated with me of just, like, that's the magic of Lego. Was it an anniversary? No, I don't think it was. I think it was just like they. I think they've they've done ads in different markets, but they really wanted like a big global kind of like unifying campaign, and um that and that's sort of what that was, and um and yeah, it's and they like kind of just you know it's kind of tongue in cheek, like they have fun. Like at one point, like an actual human's like head turns around because like you know obviously Lego heads can turn <laughs> around, so it's like they kind of play off of like the, some of the absurdities of the toy, I guess. Um, but it is it is funny. It almost feels like did Lego even. Have they even needed to add uh, advertise in the last years? They've had like Lego Movie, Lego Movie yeah, Two, Lego true. Batman, like a Batman Lego Batman Two, like Lego Land, Lego Land. It's yeah. just like it's, let us also sell adults five hundred dollar Lego sets of a Millennium Falcon, yeah, Millennium Falcon, Saturn Five. That one's yeah. They banger. they know their markets. They know when it's just like ah, oh, you you sad adult here in your room. Whenever I take my kids into Lego store, I'm like, you can look at only the things in the middle of the room. You cannot look at anything on the like all the stuff on the edges is like seven hundred dollars. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, it also brings up memories of asking my parents for Legos and being like, it's not that expensive. And I tried to buy one as an adult and I was like, they, they paid $50 for just this tiny box. Okay, great. Awesome. Okay. To, to appreciate the value of like, because as a parent, I feel painfully how expensive Legos are. But all you got to do is buy a generic set to really appreciate like how good Lego is. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. I was generic, like, you can't appreciate g- generic, it. Generic Legos mm-hmm. are trash. <laughs> Literally <laughs> trash. Um, and I, I guess we're only picking three. And so my last one was one that I'm a huge Spike Jones fan, and I've been a fan since I. Okay, I'm just gonna admit this now. Uh, Statue limitations are over. Um, I took a DVD of Spike Jones music videos from the library. And that is still in my collection, but it's one of those things where I've always been obsessed with them. So whenever he has an ad, like last year's ad for HomePod, I really enjoyed it. I was just like, this is purely his aesthetic. But this year he worked with MedMen on this ad with Jesse Williams called The New Normal. And we should probably get a little bit of that right now. Hey, you want to witness some history? Okay, back in the day, George and a few of our founding fathers had hemp farms. Yeah, a president grew his own. Look it up. It was normal. But you know what isn't normal? America's 80 years of unjust prohibition, which hasn't made us any safer. And then there's this. They came up with policies like stop and frisk, where anyone can get searched at any... All right, I'm getting a little off track, but the point is, these punishments have been harsh. Like 25 years in a prison, harsh. That's madness. It's a slow ad, but it's a good slow burn of an ad. And even with like the behind the scenes and like Jesse Williams delivers like a great, great narration through it. And it's just a good museum style like shot all the way through. And it just 
tell the story of just cannabis in general and especially for like MedMen as a brand. It just goes through and it just shows the history and just establishes just there's some they say something. They say something that it's just it's a normal thing now. And it's sort of like you need to go away from the biases that were in the past and actually move forward. And that the way that things were, people were hurt, people were destroyed and families were destroyed. And it's sort of like, can we move past that already? It's kind of been a big deal. And it's sort of like more and more places are just becoming open to it. And this ad kind of just goes along with it's normal. It's fine. It's sort of the normalization of it just needs to go a little bit further. And that's why I really like caught into me this year. Do you feel like the target audience for that was, or the goal for that was to increase brand loyalty, raise brand awareness because it it fell flat for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think it was, but I think especially with how things are going with like legalization by state to state, I think MedMen is making their point because they've always like I've done interviews with them. We report a couple of times. They just want to be the Apple store of weed and it's, Interesting because they're just making stores in all these legalization areas that are accessible, easy, just go and go out. But I think on a grander scale, I think they're just establishing themselves in this point. But the ad without them, I think, would still be a great ad. Like, I think it would be one of those things where it's an interesting way to show that story better than doing just a slideshow. It's just weed plants and what they used to do in D.A.R.E. Yeah, I mean, like, I from a production standpoint, yeah. absolutely, it's it's cool. It like the whole ad is just very cool. Yeah. Um, but I think I wonder if the messaging falls flat to the people who need to hear it, who need who arguably in their minds need to hear it the it, most. It, it had a bit of a like retweet if you agree vibe. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like I think I'm between both of you. Like, I I love it. Yeah. Uh, we named it. I think our number what five or six ad of the year. Um, number five. Okay, thank you for taking it. Six. <laughs> six. <laughs> I made my text really tiny. I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, but I think it's beautifully shot. It it's like a, a, a more. This is probably a terrible analogy, but it's like a more sedate version of uh of childish Gambino's. This is America. You know what I mean? It's got that vibe of of a 360. Like you're inside of a 360 degree panorama that's seamlessly taking you from scene to scene. Um. And, and yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, I love that Jesse Williams was really involved, yeah. like not just like did a voiceover. You know, he, he I think, wrote it right? yeah. or like co-wrote it. Um, but I watched it and I was like, OK, like the people who love this ad are going to agree with this ad. And the people who don't agree, um, who have issues with weed, I don't think this ad's going to persuade them. It almost felt like it was – to Josh's point, like to to help the casual cannabis fan realize that there is an Apple store of weed yeah. and that there's a place you can go because, you know, like, you know, I'm not into cannabis. Like it's – I have nothing against it. Obviously, no no qualms. I just don't – I'm not personally into it. But like if I deci- decided to get into it, I wouldn't know where to go. Like I would have a hard time deciding like where do I get started? And I think – I felt like maybe that was the point was just to, to feel like you had a starting point if you're like, yeah, I'm OK with it. Yeah. It's the new normal. That's I think that's what they wanted to talk about. It's just like, you know, sometimes you you want to go get some ice cream and you just you, you just go down to the bodega, but this bodega sells weed, so you just go and do your thing. And it's sort of like 
there's no animosity. There's no like there's no problem with it. You don't feel like you're being going to be watched down the street or anything bad's going to happen to you. And I think while it, it is trying to sell you the med men lifestyle, I think it just goes on. It, I just really enjoyed it. Those are very solid picks. Yep. All right. Um, what I'm going to do uh, is I'm going to walk through our top 10 real quick. Um, just so We've covered most of them. Um, and I'll just kind of let people know where we netted out on some of these. Number 10 was the IKEA real life uh, kind of print campaign that uh, from Publis of Spain that Co talked about. And number nine was Back to School Essentials from Sandy Hook Promise and BBDO New York, uh, which uh, Co also talked about. Uh, number eight was Changing the Game. So good. Yeah, this was when it aired during the Super Bowl. Uh, it's something that Microsoft's been doing for about a year before that, um, but it all kind of came together. But this is their Microsoft's work uh, creating a, a controller for people of all ranges of, of you know, motor ability and of you know, disability um, in a very small world twist. A friend of mine's daughter is in the end, um, hmm. uh, Jordan, uh, who is who's amazing. And so it was just, I don't know, maybe that – Part of it, I just felt so connected from kind of day one with this. It has cleaned up on the award circuit. Absolutely. And it deserves so. Like it's it, – it, it very much is one of those things where it feels in the words of 2019 authentic. Like it's very much like an authentic thing of no, everyone should play. Like everyone deserves a chance to actually play on the same like field as everybody else. And I think – they did it in such a way that I didn't feel like it was pushed on me. I think it was like, oh, I know that this is out here now. And it's like the awareness is really there. The um, It opens on a, on a kid named Owen, I believe, and uh, McCann, uh, which was our global agency of the year in large part because of how well they integrated uh, cause marketing into client work, not into nonprofits and advocacy, which is e not to say easy. Um, but it gets a bit of a kind of like, eh, uh, you know, when you, you did a great nonprofit ad, but to do paying client corporate work that includes cause marketing, McCann really uh, put on a clinic with that this year. Um, and uh, they bought a can lion for Owen uh, and sent it to him. And I mean, those things ain't cheap. Uh, but I just thought that was so sweet. They're basically recognizing like this thing, to your point about authenticity, like this is about the kids that are in it. Um, yeah, and they casted the kids really well. I mean, yeah. they all have great personalities. Owen is like hilarious. It was, yeah, it was well done. Um, Number where – oh, OK. Here's one I wanted to talk about. Number seven, Ice Cream for Adults by Halo Top. Uh, it's from 72 and Sunny. Um, this is – if I were going to say my favorite ad campaign of the year, this is it. Um, campaign, meaning like any one spot is not necessarily the best ad of the year, but the copywriting – the delivery. So the concept here is Halo Top is a what fat free, low fat, low calorie, whatever ice cream. Um, yeah, it's like for, for the calorie conscious, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Is don't they have like a dairy free option as well? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't do dairy, so that'll maybe I'll try that one. Um, but they uh, their campaign is uh, is an ice cream truck that's only for adults, and so these kids are all coming up to it and asking for ice cream, and the, the guy's like, "No, you haven't earned it." Your life's, not, your life's not crappy enough. <laughs> Do so, you have a mortgage? <laughs> let's listen to uh, some of this, some of the best delivery uh, from, yeah, honestly, of the year. Uh, Justine Armour, the uh, the creative director behind this, uh, we named her, I think, to the Creative 100. Uh, she is just one of the best creatives out there. Uh, let's listen to uh, to some of the uh, ice cream for adults from Halo Top. So what did you all do to deserve ice cream today? I made this. Hmm. You know what Donnie made? Not enough to cover his mortgage. What's a mortgage? It's like waterboarding, only you do it yourself. I just had my sixth birthday. Happy birthday, when you're closer to the inevitable. 
Every day we die a little bit more. All right, that's the lesson today. Now get out of here. Ice cream for adults. Cause adults need a lot of ice cream. So I, I think I think we need to listen to more than one. Like maybe I'm being greedy with my time slot here, but I feel like again to the point of it's the reason I put this so high up on the list at number seven for the year is because it's just a great campaign. I wanted more, which I've never said about advertising in my life. Can I have some ice cream? You know why Stanley over there deserves ice cream and you don't? Um, because he's having a bad day. More like a bad decade. He's not bad looking. He's just not very photogenic, so he can't meet anyone online. But he keeps swiping and swiping. And I can swiping totally hear you, you know. And swiping and swiping. That's sad. That's life. Ice cream for adults. Cause adults need a lot of ice cream. All right, so congratulations to 72 and Sunny on a really fantastic campaign. Uh, number six, The New Normal from MedMen, and the agency on that one was Mechanism, as Josh uh, discussed that one. Uh, number five was The Book of Dreams, which the name might not mean much to people, but uh, it was the most read article on our entire site for the entire year. Uh, this was a Christmas ad from a company called Argos, which is like a uh, – like a, what do you what do you call it? A catalog uh, for ordering stuff out of. I don't think we really have an American equivalent of this. We used to. Yeah. Um, and uh, agency called the And Partnership out of the UK uh, made this. It's the one uh, we've talked about this a, a bit on the podcast. Um, it's a dad uh, imagining a drum kit uh, from a kid's drum kit, and then he buys a second kid's drum kit, and the two of them play. They are both real drummers. Um, and, uh, they, the spot's just fantastic. And so I won't, we've talked about it a bit on here, uh, but Book of Dreams, my favorite holiday ad, honestly, the only holiday ad that made the list this year, which maybe that's mean to, uh, typically John Lewis makes this list. Um, I think John Lewis not making it about like an artist this year kind of might've had something to do with that. Cause didn't they do last year was Elton John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that broke their, usually it's about an imaginary character. Yeah. And like a penguin or a dog or whatever. Monster, yeah. And then this year they went back to that well and it was uh, Edgar or whatever, excitable Edgar, the dragon, um, just fell flat for me. It's, it's, I feel like it's becoming formulaic. Like you kind of know what they're going to do. I feel that way at least. Yeah. And we, we interviewed the team behind that at Cannes this year behind the, the Elton John one, which we named one of the best ads of the last year. Uh, and they said it broke like all their internal rules for how to make an ad for uh, John Lewis. Um, I was like, maybe break the rules more. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was a huge hit in the UK. Yeah, there are, maybe. There are always beloved ads in the UK and we have quite a few listeners there. Definitely email us at podcast at adweek.com. Um, but, you know, I just, yeah, just didn't land here. Um, but, yeah, that's fun. Um, but, yeah, you know, what breaks my heart as someone who is obsessed with these agencies is we did not have anything on this list from AMV BBDO in London, from Mother in London, from Adam and Eve DDB in London. Those are three of the best ads on earth. They don't have campaign, the right? French and Spanish water. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, I love it. It's almost like there's something going on in Britain that's making people really <laughs> making people crazy. Yeah. Uh, they're all they're they're all like applying for uh, Dutch nationalities so they can move to Amsterdam. Um, no, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It broke my heart, and that wasn't obviously. I love those shops, so it just I made it, we finished the list, and then I looked at it. I was like. This is maybe the first year in recent memory where those three shops have not been at least somewhat represented. Anyway, um, so that was the Book of Dreams at number five. Number four, Gift Responsibly from Aviation Woo-hoo! Gin. 
the response ad, uh, a late edition. That one late just, minute audible. Yes, poor uh, poor Josh, who had already edited the video, had to go back and add. Um, but you know, with those late breaking ads in the year, it's very hard to take a step back. This happened uh, to date myself. This happened with uh, Epic Split for Volvo trucks when that came out. It was like a November thirtieth or something. It was like a really late in the year, and it was near the end of the process of identifying ads of the year. That we we're like, well, you know, that one's actually should probably be – if in, if not number one, it was like number two. Uh, and then it ended up winning the Grand Prix in film and being the most viewed ad of like the decade, whatever. It's uh, things bonkers. So it is tough sometimes to take a step back and say, is this – does this matter or is just this the ad we're talking about this week? Um, in this case, will we be talking about it five years from now? Yes. You know, yeah, I think I think we might. And, and I kept asking Doug Zanger, our agency's editor, when we were working on this list, I'm like – you know, will it make sense five years from now, this ad without the context of the crappy ad? And then I'm like, well, that's not what advertising is about. No. Like this industry sure. fetishizes ads that hold up 25 years later as artistic accomplishments. That's not what sells. How many times have you heard about 1984? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Surfer for Guinness or a lot of these ones that are beautiful ads and powerful ads. But in the end, advertising, the window of effectiveness for advertising is arguably like a few months. Mm-hmm. And so – I mean, Ryan Reynolds within, like, like I said, within forty-eight hours, had ten million people on that ad, um, you know, watching it, and it out, you know, he he leveraged a, an ad, a viral like kind of parodied ad, without creating a parody. Like he didn't do like the Weird Al Yankovic equivalent of, uh, which a, would have been really easy to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, lot like, of, a lot of people did. Yeah, and, and I he think, found a new way into it. Yeah, yeah and I think um, the new way is something that will be envied and potentially copied, and, and and that's why I think people will be talking about it in five years. Number three was a tie, and poor Wyden and Kennedy will have to live with the fact that their dream crazier spot that we talked about earlier tied with. Oh, wait, Wyden and Kennedy's dream further. We had a really hard time deciding which of these amazing Wyden uh, Nike ads we liked best. Uh, dream the, And the names never help because, like, you can't remember. Like, dream Further came out during the Women's World Cup, and I think I like this one over Dream Crazier. I'm going to be very honest with you. It's, really? No, for an honest thing, it's Dream Crazier. That's a Nike ad. That is a straight-up just – Pure narration, Nike ad, empowerment, let's do it, let's do it all together. Dream Further, to me, is more of an exciting look at what sports does and what Nike goes with. And just also, they went through, not just like the U.S. side, they went through everybody just to show that everyone is just pushing it forward. And this little girl is just being like, I could... I could be this person, I could be this person, I could be this person, which kind of like echoes both sides in that thing. But I think the journey was way more entertaining for me. Yeah, con- conceptually, yeah. I sh- we should explain this as one where a young girl is going out on the pitch. I, I think for a like uh, like one of those pregame, like let's let all the kids come out and take a bow. And then they're like, oh, don't leave. Uh, you know, you're you're staying. And then the rest of the ad is just her. It's, it's like I, I was thinking about it as you were describing it. I was like, it's almost like a career fair for soccer. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like showing her all that it's not just about playing this one kind of role that you could be a coach. You could be, you know, and and uh, but uh, so that was it's pretty long format. Yeah. I think Dream Crazier, you know, could be an anthem yeah. for for women. And I think that's why I like that one. Yeah. But hey, it's a tie. Yeah, it's a tie for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the reason that we love Dream Further is that it is, um, it's just great. It's just, it's fun to watch. I mean, empowering is like the, the, I guess, kind of the easy way to think about it. But 
Um, it's got just that energy that I think of. It's like because to your point, Josh makes a great point that the there are kind of two breeds of Nike of traditional Nike ad. There's the um, like the copy the copy heavy. Uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an essay here, a speech about. Uh, you know, about who we are as human beings or whatever. And then there's the one that I always just is like the boom, ba-doom, ba-doom, doom, ba-doom, ba-doom, doom. That's just like n- relentless. And just when you think it's going to be over, there's like another minute left and you're glad because you're like, how far are they going to take this? Where are my shoes? I got to go. I got to run. Is it because it's like two different teams at Wyden and Kennedy that are doing them? Or is it like the same person that has like split personality? Has- <laughs> I, <laughs> Definitely I, that. I feel like Nike demi- – like I feel like Nike as a brand has to be both. Yeah. Yeah. Nike has two creative leads um, at the at the highest level at Wyden and Kennedy, but they are in lockstep. I mean they're not. It's it's. I think they just recognize that – You can you have know, both. Dream crazier – I think the reason we wanted that one so high on the list is because it, I think the criticism you could have of it is that it's a continuation of their ad campaign from last year, Dream Crazy with Kaepernick that won everything. But I don't see that as a downside. I'm like you had the number one ad of the year. You had an ad that that got the president pissed and tweeting. You got an ad that like changed culture that drove Nike stock through the roof. Um, you also, got people you, burned their Nikes. You got to follow that. Like you can't. I mean, it, Widen is totally the kind of agency that would have moved on without trying to replicate their success because they're they have enough swagger to to not need that. Um, but in this case, I'm glad they did because you you build something that's a cultural moment and you don't continue it. I would. And but the fact that they continued it, but they didn't just here's here's Colin Kaepernick again talking about how he hates not. Being you know supported by the NFL, it, in this case, like they 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 put a nice little twist on it where mm-hmm. it becomes about um, not putting up with this misogynistic trash yeah. and um, and just the the sheer quantity of examples within that ad alone is heartbreaking. Uh, so d- definitely recommend everyone go back check that one out if if you missed it during the Oscars. Um, check out both Dream Further, Dream Crazier. Uh, number two. And I have complicated thoughts on this. Is oh, let's go. <laughs> is the truth is worth it uh, from the New York Times and Droga Five? No ad won more awards this year. Uh, at least no 2019 ad. The Colin Kaepernick ad continued to clean up this year. Um, but honestly, it only won like only won two Grand Prix at the uh, at, at Cannes this year. But I think a lot of people thought Kaepernick ad from Wyden would would run away with it. Truth is worth it has won every advertising award out there. Um, these are these are ads. We can't really play them on the podcast because no. they're not audio driven. They also do not work that much yeah. in a montage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's no kind of – I mean that's kind of I, – I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I think like – I think it uh, – it's a really interesting ad when you're like all in and you're watching it. But I think – I'm not sure if it like contextually it always plays well. Like I, I saw it on TV once and like – it, if you're not like totally laser focused on it, it can kind of just seem like, what's going on? What is this? Does that, does it make sense? I don't know how yeah. you feel, but well, so like, let me just tell you, my craft wise, which is like the ultimate out when you're talking about advertising. Yeah. If you ever say like, well, in terms of craft, yeah, that's when you're basically <laughs> saying like, I'm going to set aside all cultural relevance for a minute and talk just about how this ad how is it made. Was made. Yeah. Uh, I normally don't go in on that argument, but I think in terms of taking something as dry as like. Here are, here are these deep investigations and gr- digging into it on a granular level where you explain to people who may or may not care about investigative journalism stories that they probably did not read um, in the New York Times but that the New York Times broke. Because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we all we all keenly know in this room that sometimes you spend forever breaking a story but then everyone else goes out and covers it, which is great. That's what you want. 
But then no one remembers who broke it. Yeah. Right? I mean like the audience doesn't care who yeah. had it first or whatever. So this yeah. was the Times finding a really – or Droga finding a really creative way to show the process that went into those mm-hmm. and, and uncovering those those ads. And th- some of the stories are phenomenal and some of them are just like nail-biting. Mm-hmm. Um, they really do a good job of showing you how scary it must be. I mean we live in a world where journalists are regularly jailed, tortured and sometimes murdered and hacked apart um, without – any government intervention to protect them. And the Times did a good job of kind of addressing that without being like, hey, stop killing journalists. Like instead it just showed like here's what we what we risk every day. Uh, my problem with it is that I don't think you, at, at the dinner table this Christmas, I don't think you could ask anyone outside of advertising if they've seen that ad and have them say yes, right? I don't think you're going to find. Well, that's kind of I my differ. point. Like, I differ I think because conversion-wise didn't hasn't – Subscriptions gone up, absolutely right, and not just True. with the times, but also beyond the gray lady, right? So that's where everyone's kind of turning to, and I think um, people are starting to value um, why this is still showing up on our doorstep. I, I think it also has to go with where exactly this ad takes place. Like for me, this ad showed up actually as a part of uh, me actually turning off my ad blocker for once and it shows up on a lot of sites as their pop-up ad as like those ads that run video on top of the thing but the thing about it is it's not that invasive and it it's in the background so it's one of those things where it's not like blaring audio and it's just like okay here's the ad but it very much just like it's a subtle tactile kind of ad and it just slowly gets to the point and there's a slow burn but to your point i I don't think anyone's going to remember it, but I think it's going to be the repercussions of it are going to be even That's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, like I think it, it's really well done, but like I think uh, – yeah, I'm not sure how much like it really stands out. I don't know. That's just how I felt when I watched it. It's – you know, if you if you talk to creatives, which is not any sort of barometer, but if you go around and talk to every creative chief, uh, they're going to cite this ad as their favorite of the year, as the one that they want to – that they most are jealous of. Um now, again, that's not a good barometer of whether an ad uh, – there's – every year there is at least one ad uh, that wins a bajillion awards and no one's ever heard of it. Um, I, you know, There was one year where I just kind of got fed up with this and started asking the film jury president at Cannes, this, this ad's not even that good. Like, is, but like, is it because the premise is so hard? And, and that's why creators are it's, – you know, it's on a jealousy list so to speak? It's a good ad because of the way – like I think the, if you just imagine it in such a way that it's sort of – it like David said earlier, it really encompasses an investigation. Mm-hmm. You watch an investigation in like the 30 seconds that, in, that ad that's is. That's hard to do. And investigations in general take a long time but you get the entire like beginning, April, August, all of this time all the way through and then at the end it just clips into this was the story. This was the headline. This was the opening image and you get the entire thing. You get the story that somebody researched forever and you get that in 30 seconds, you get the entire wave. And so you put you, that's that's what people want, especially like in our society where it takes a lot to get a story across of it's like, why should you care? And it's just like if you get there from point A to point B, there you go. No soliloquies, no anything. It's just straight up, here are the facts. Done. Here is the ad about Kabul. Here's the ad about the Mexican president. Talk like putting shareware on a computer. It is one, two, done. And then you're out. Yeah, and I think if I'm going to get upset, which I'm not in this case, but if I'm going to criticize the industry for overhyping certain ads, this one is uh, not one I'm going to be too sad about. There, there have been years where 
like Harvey Nichols is the most classic, the British retailer. Um, the ad industry can't stop talking about Harvey Nichols. Normal human beings rarely talk about Harvey, and especially outside of Britain. But their ads have a certain nihilism to it uh, that I think I think if when it, the deep dark secret of ad creatives is that they wish they didn't have to care about you know, good things because they, they spend every day making ads about trying to make the world a better place and all this. And then they always like give awards, these ads that are just like, don't you just want to be greedy and shitty for, for once. And, and then the, it's, it's a hard thing to describe, but there's a certain like love of nihilism and for that ad this year to be the New York times work, which is the opposite of that, which is about people who are fighting to try to turn around corruption and risking their lives every day. I'm not going to get upset about that, that being the big winner, even if I think that it's not necessarily the, the one that that people saw, which will lead us in a seamless segue to number one. Dun, dun. The number one ad of the year by this, uh, as people can tell from listening to this, pretty arbitrary uh, <laughs> like ranking of this is Joust. The surprise of the year. Joust was, to remind everybody, uh, this was a combo Super Bowl ad in a way that I've never seen before. Uh, two brands. Two agencies. Two agencies. uh, Bud Light and HBO, two of the biggest advertisers on earth right now, with two of the biggest agencies on earth right now, Widen Kennedy and Droga 5. Um, Droga is obviously HBO's agency. Widen does Bud Light. So Widen Kennedy New York created the Dilly Dilly campaign that we all know and some of us love. And they created this whole mythology, right? This whole – and they are open to admitting that it was inspired as a bit of a parody one might say of Game of Thrones, right? Um, that it's this medieval kingdom with all these different lands and characters and whatever, except they don't go around generally murdering each other. They mostly just talk about beer and then uh, throw people in dungeons a lot. But in – so this year, to recap the way this ad came across, which I think is important, there was a Bud Light ad about how all their competitors are made with corn syrup. And it was a long ad of making fun. It was straight. It was classic. Why New York – Bud Light, like, hello, Coors Light, you made – well, let's, instead of my bad impersonation, let's go back and listen to that that first ad to remind everyone, like, the vibe of the first one. And that's how you brew it. Um, my king, this corn syrup was just delivered. That's not ours. We don't brew Bud Light with corn syrup. Miller Light uses corn syrup. Let us take it to them at once. But if something did happen, we'd eat the wizard first, right? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> We received your corn syrup by mistake. That's not our corn syrup. We received our shipment this morning. You're joking. Try the Coors Light Castle. They also use corn syrup. (sighs) So So then they come back in the next quarter with an ad about corn syrup. And then they come back in the third quarter with an ad about corn syrup. And so by then, by this point, you have seen so much dilly dilly. Um, And fine that first one's good second one mm, third one you know know, you're like okay get it corn syrup and then they come back in the fourth quarter and you're like um yeah it's those guys again and they are having a joust with the bud knight and um yeah let's listen to a little bit of it look it's the bud knight you hold my beer you hold my other beer whoops (laughs) one more all right, let's tap this keg. I I don't know. There's the reason I want to play the audio, even though there's not much like dialogue there, 
is the the moment that I did not notice when we watched it live, um, but that I, I is the horns start playing the reigns of Castamir from Game of the Game of Thrones, which is like the song that means everyone's about to die. Um, I did not notice the first time because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was happening. It was live. They did not release this in advance to us, to anybody. Nope. We're never surprised by anything. And then that one, like the Tide ad, right, a few years ago or whenever that – two, three years ago now. Um, we knew we knew it was coming. We couldn't tell anybody. But we knew that this David Harbor Tide ad, it's Tide ad thing. We knew it was coming and we enjoyed watching people freak out. This one had no idea, suckered me in a way no ad has ever suckered me. And I was screaming. And I don't mean that <laughs> I don't mean that in the Twitter way of like I am scre- I was screaming. <laughs> I have done the Super Bowl here at Adweek for about two years. Most of the time everyone is pretty much nodding of like we've seen this before, we've seen most of this. And, oh, that's one we haven't seen before, but there's never an uh, ungodly noise of everyone going, wait, what? At the same what time. What is happening? And it, it goes on, and we're sitting there being like, how did we not get this? <laughs> so so the twist visually is that we see that the, the, the Bud Knight is jousting against the mountain, Gregor Clegane, from, who is one of the, well, not the big bad guy, is one of the scariest, most evil bad guys from Game of Thrones, who then promptly defeats, goes on to defeat him and then crush his skull and murder the Bud Knight. And he it, stayed dead for a while. He did. He came back eventually, but like, he came back in an homage to Game of Thrones. Um <laughs> Like months later, like yeah. two months later. But that damn corn syrup shit continued for uh, uh, for months. Lawsuits. Um, okay, so Joust. So let me defend this too. Joust is not going to win. Maybe maybe it will, I don't know, or maybe it has. But no, it would have already. Joust is not like a big winner on the award circuit. It's not like the Cannes Lions Grand Prix winner, which, <laughs> uh, which stinks because it's a consumer ad. Like mm-hmm. unlike a lot of the ones we've talked about today. Yeah. This was on the biggest playing field of advertising. Um, it just like stuck with me. It, it, the impact it had on me, and maybe I'm being selfish. I don't know that it had on me, but like everyone that was watching, it was just like, what is happening? The fact that they would let the Bud Light would let them murder a character on camera and then they kill everybody. They like, they breathe fire on everything. Um, I, I didn't love Game of Thrones this season. Sure. Love that ad though. Um, and, uh, it, just goes to show that the best agencies are because we've talked about these agencies and we've talked about like Droga Five made the New York Times work, which came in at number two um, and won every award this year and every advertising creative loves it. Joust is just like it's just great. It's just great advertising. Um, it got me pumped for Game of Thrones, which again was a bit of a disappointment, but still, it's fine. It's fine. I shall be the dissenter about Joust. About Joust. No. I mean, like, it, it's just like, to me, it's just so, it's just so blatant, like, I, I know y'all are surprised, but I, it was to me, it's like the, the plug-in was so blatant, and like, what happened at the end, like, how come he didn't, like, like, I wanted something to come out of the, the dead Bud Knight. Um, <laughs> well, that sounds like a you problem. <laughs> That's on you. Yeah. And, and, but, but I will say that, you know, it, you know, but, but like, Huge and it's a good consumer ad in the same way that like, you know, Love Actually will never win an Oscar, right? So it's kind of like that kind of level. Yeah. Of like, yeah, it's good for everybody else, but like, will it shoot to critical acclaim? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. But critics are the worst. No, I, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're the worst. Yeah. I, 
I, well, I hear you. And I mean, it's it's not everyone's cup of tea. But and if you don't watch this show, like I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I, maybe that's probably that's I, part I, of the reason I why I watch it and I drink like, Bud Light. But I, but I still thought it was a cool ad, even so. But I yeah. I just in, instantly thought of like the logistical nightmare of putting this that, together. Yeah, that's more where my mind. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Nick Gardner, a video producer, who actually told the story of how these two agencies and two brands actually got together, and it. Might have sounded like a logistical nightmare, but it turns out it was just like emails back and forth and just being like, all right, are we doing this? We're doing this and done. It's a great thing. Yeah, that's why I was like, whoa, like the coordination involved and keeping it a secret. I think the butt night dying was a mandatory, right? Yeah. Like that was the the big thing they talked about that that had to happen. That's funny. You know, I I spent months trying to get Wyden and Droga to tell me what they were doing for the Super Bowl, like pestering them constantly. (laughs) And what was funny is I don't remember which agency, but but they were just like they, they weren't allowed to say anything, which normally, again, we find out about all this stuff before the Super Bowl. They wouldn't even tell me under embargo, which never happens. And then every time I would ask, like, their PR person just go, (sighs) and, like, this exasperated just sigh. And I was like, what? What are you doing? She wants to. And and I think think it was, like, the the, the behind the scenes of – Two agencies, two of like the biggest, best agencies on earth working on an ad together with two clients and just the logistics of it. Like I think coming up with the concept was probably admirably easy for them, the execution of it. Um, you know, how, which agency gets to run everything and like who gets to make the call and which agency signs off on the last cut. Like stuff's not easy. Um, no. And so I – I think this is a year – OK. My biggest caveat is not a great – this was not a huge year for creative. Most years – last year, uh, number one was Colin Kaepernick's uh, Dream Crazy ad for Nike. Number two was Welcome Home from uh, Apple and – Yeah, best ad 2018. Yeah, t- TBWA uh, Media Arts Lab. Um, those, either one could have been number one. Mm-hmm. We, we picked Dream Crazy because it had the most cultural impact, whereas mm-hmm. Welcome Home was just a great ad that you know we loved. Um, this year – no, nothing had that cultural impact except maybe Peloton. <laughs> well, um, for the wrong reasons. <laughs> uh, Doug Zanger, too, is great. He couldn't join us today, but our agency's editor, he was he was stumping to put Peloton on here. And his argument was just that sometimes an ad is so bad it, like, comes around yeah, the other side. I mean, the I other see side, that argument, for know? sure. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like – but I don't think it was intentionally – I don't, you know what I no, mean? No, it like, wasn't intentional. They didn't, so, like, yeah. torpedo themselves. The rest of them were trying to be good ads, so I'm not sure it's there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it just wasn't the kind of year where when we got to this process, we were like, well, obviously it's this one. Um, just didn't have that. And so I think anyone could argue that any of the ones we put in the top five, top ten, top 25 are – that there were better. Um, in the end, it was a lot of like this one's a, a 7.9 and this one's a 7.85. Like, like we were just like um, – we spent a lot of time wiggling them like by one point. But in the end, I stand by it as a list. I think that uh, there will be disagreement, but it's just the – it's one of those years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and congratulations to all those agencies, uh, to Drogified, Widen and Kennedy. Um, Maximum Effort is the production company that Ryan Reynolds runs uh, that produced um, Gift Responsibly for Aviation. Uh, the AND partnership from Book of Dreams, uh, Mechanism, 72 and Sunny McCann, BBDO New York. Lots of – I mean good representation of agencies. Like no one agency dominated this year. Uh, so congratulations to everybody on uh, all their work this year. And thank you to each of you for coming in, sharing your insights. And just going to show that uh, this is not a hive mind over here. Uh, we've got got a lot of good disagreement, and I like it. Yeah, except we all agree that we're going to France 
Yeah, France and Spain. Yeah. Drinking the water. Fact, fact finding. Yeah. I, I have to get a passport. Sorry. Oh, man. Oh, that's for another time. On it now. Sorry. All right. Well, we are out of time for today, but uh, Josh, it was so great having you on this end of the microphone. Thank you. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. Once again, check out Nick's Gardner's video on the Droga 5, White and Kennedy mashup. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Folio nominated. And uh, check out Josh Rios' video about the ads of the year, his montage of all of this year's ads. Minda, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, as always. And Co, always great to be back with you. Yes, and nice to have you right across from me. Um, make sure to also check out all the end-of-the-year coverage on adweek.com and stay tuned for the next episode where we will be looking forward. Nice. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode is produced by you, right, Josh? Yes. So, yes, Josh Rios produced Woo-hoo. this week's episode with production assistance from himself. I uh, did it. <laughs> and edited by Lane McGivney. Uh, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Lane. Uh, we, if, uh, if you've not already left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, those reviews help new listeners discover the show, and they make us really happy. So please take a moment to do that. That'll be your Christmas gift to us. That would be so great. Or New Year's gift or whenever you get around to it. That would be wonderful. Um, and uh, and you can always drop us a line at podcast at adweek.com. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we will be back next week. Welcome to Elevating the Human Experience from Deloitte Digital. Did you think emotional intelligence was just about people? It's for organizations, too. Tim Grulick, Managing Director at Deloitte Digital, explains new research that quantifies emotional attachments with brands and the data marketers should start paying attention to. A year or two ago, a client asked me if we completely removed the humanity from our customer-facing processes and systems. I thought about this question and implication for a while and realized other clients were asking me the same question, but in a slightly different way. As I talked with our colleagues, it became clear that this question of humanity and the need for organizations to create more authentic, contextual-driven, human-like interactions was becoming a trend. We have long known that creating these more human-like experiences were important for marketing organizations, but we were feeling an undeniable pull for the rest of the customer lifecycle to become more authentic and contextual, too. Last year, we decided to commission a study to empirically quantify the demands for these more authentic, contextual interactions, and also better understand how and if these interactions and emotional connections were important throughout the customer lifecycle. As part of the study, we surveyed and interviewed over 2,000 participants and collected various other data sources, and what we found challenged the conventional wisdom about the role of emotions in the relationship between brands and customers. We empirically proved that emotions aren't just for marketing interactions anymore. The study also yielded important new and surprising implications about the kind of customer data that companies should pay attention to when fostering emotional connections with customers the evolving way that customers expect to interact with brands, the legal and reputational risks of personalized experiences, one-to-one marketing at scale, and the importance of providing a consistent, incredible experience. Taken individually, these principles can be impactful. But when looked at together, we see these four factors driving towards a new imperative, what we're calling the emotionally intelligent enterprise. We as customers want the companies we do business with to understand our emotional influences, be trusting of the data we provide, and leverage the contextual information to interact with us as friends would interact with each other. We want organizations to be emotionally intelligent, and we reward these emotionally intelligent organizations with lifelong friendships. Want to learn more about elevating the human experience through emotion-driven engagement? Visit DeloitteDigital.com slash US slash emotion research for more insight.